Good morning, Mission Viejo. How's it going? Good, good. There was a time um, not too long ago that I can remember when privacy was really respected. And what do I mean by that? When I was younger, um, I would remember going up to some adults and I'd ask some personal questions and I would get, that's none of your business. And I got that quite often. Um, but I'm a teacher now, and it's really interesting that uh, when students come up to me, they ask me questions. I thought, wow, that's kind of personal. And um, I was just thinking to myself, well, why would they ask it? Did anyone not tell them that's not appropriate? And then I started thinking a little bit more. I said, yeah, actually, it's our culture. It's interesting that in our culture, next slide, please, we have kind of groomed a society where there's really not too much information that's personal anymore. As a matter of fact, every now and then you might even see a, a Google car go by and you can look up anyone's street address and check out their house. You might see someone doing this, you know, and what are they doing? They're taking a video of you and with or without your permission. Maybe they're just doing it with or from themselves, but you happen to be behind. It's a, one of those selfies, right? Because we, you know, we talked about that, I think, in the past, selfies, you know, that's sort of a, a way to put ourselves out there. It's all about us. It's interesting that even with our signals, as a matter of fact, how do we catch people? Because we can't put police officers in every corner. And so we put video cameras up in that way to take pictures. But of course, the way our society is, we're very litigious and um, we don't like to be accountable for our actions. So we can argue them now because, you know, hey, it's, it's, uh, it's not right that you're taking pictures of me going through a red light. And so now a lot of towns are pulling that out. But still, they're replacing them with neighborhood watch so that you have cameras in every corner. And what I hear is that England is uh, far more advanced than we are when it comes to having cameras just about everywhere. Interesting. Privacy. It's something that I think we all used to be used to, but in reality, it's... it's it's not real. There is no privacy. It just so happens to be that um, the privacy that we are feeling now comes from humanity. And next slide, please. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that because there's another type of privacy that isn't seen. There's a show called Stakeout. Have uh, anyone seen this show before? It happens, or it's, sorry, it's called Restaurant Stakeout. They put up video cameras and the bosses um, get to look at and observe their employees. And it's, and it's taken from a very negative spin, a spin where they usually you see the worst in people, not the best. But every now and then something good will come out and, the, and that employee gets rewarded. But this, this uh, individual goes into restaurants that are struggling, talks to the owner and say, hey, let's find out why you're losing revenue. And what's interesting, his, um, his motto is, is that the secret of success is becoming or is knowing all the secrets knowing all the secrets. Well, that's well and good, except there's one flaw. And that flaw is, it, it's coming from a point of humanity. But there is another watcher of men, as a matter of fact. Um, and would you go to the next slide, please? This watcher is one up in heavenly places. And we're gonna talk about him in a moment. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. What is interesting, if you look through the Old Testament, read through it, it it's kind of like restaurant steakhouse. It's almost like there's this feeling where God is watching us, but not necessarily watching us for the good things that we're doing. 
As a matter of fact, he's watching to see what kind of evil is going on in the world. But his eyes are on the righteous. It's just that there seems to be so few. Next slide, please. I'm going to take you to a story that probably many of you haven't heard about. And this happens to deal with a king, King Ahab, who was a wicked king, king of Israel. Now, King Ahab committed a sin. Well, he committed lots of sins, but one of the ones that really got the attention of the Lord is that he um, was in league with his wife, Jezebel, and they took away a vineyard from a man and um, ended up resulting in his death. And so a prophet came up and says, well, you know, we're just going to take your name off the books here and all your sons. But what's so interesting, though, is that King Ahab at that time repented. The prophet went back in and says, okay, the Lord's not going to do it in your time, but in the times of your sons. However, he still had it out for him because of the many sins that he did. And so King, um, King Ahab, at this point in the junction, had, uh, had an alliance with King Jehos- uh, Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. Now, King Jehoshaphat, um, he was the one who worshipped the Lord, whereas King Ahab, on the other hand, had a lot of false prophets. Now, King Jehoshaphat um, basically asked, hey, is there any, before we go into battle, because there was, uh, there was this uh, agreement between the kings that they were going to go take back this city, uh, Ramoth Gilead. And so there was in this, in this agreement, they said, well, we should probably consult the Lord first. And Jehoshaphat said, well, is there any prophets of the Lord that are still in Israel? And, and King Ahab said, you know, there's one. There's one, but I don't like him very much because he never prophesies anything good about me. Well, that's okay. Let's just call him forward. And so his name is Micaiah. And so then Micaiah said, and, he, and this is an interesting thing about um, Micaiah the prophet. He has this ability to see into heaven. God gives him this ability. He says, then Micaiah said, therefore, to hear the word of the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead. And some spirit spoke in this manner, and some spirit spoke in that manner. And then one came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Next slide. And he said, how? How will we persuade him? In what way? He said, I will go out and being a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has there declared disaster upon you. Now let's take a, a look at that for a moment. Here it is, a prophet that can see into the throne room of God, surrounded by a heavenly host. Good spirits, perhaps some evil spirits. And why do I say that? Well, I know from the book of Job that Lucifer, at that time he was called Satan, was allowed to go into the throne room of God. There was a pointed day that God called all the spirits before him and he said, hey, check out my man Job. Isn't he awesome? And Satan basically said, well, yeah, it's because you protect him and you bless him. And he would curse you to his face if you take all the things away from him. So the Lord said, fine. I commit him to you. Just don't hurt him or harm him. And so in one day, he lost all his possessions, including his children. There was another time that all the sons of God, they came before the Lord, and again, God said, have you seen my servant Job? 
And Satan said, yeah, but you harm his flesh and he'll curse you to his face because a man would do anything to protect his flesh. Again, the Lord said, fine, even though you provoked me, again, I'll give him over to you. But do not kill him. And so, of course, at that moment, Satan went at it, and he gave him some type of disease. He had control over the physical forces of nature. So not only did he lose everything, but he also lost, you know, his health, which is when that starts to go, what else is there left? So he's in pain, and his friends come, and if you read through the book, you'll realize his friends weren't necessarily, well, they were there to help him, but they wanted him to confess a sin he didn't do. But see, in the end, it came out that there was a watcher of men. Next slide, please. There was a watcher of men in heaven. And Job said, what, have I sinned? What have I done to you, a watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? You know what's so interesting about that passage is that later on he talks about he wants an advocate. He wants someone to speak to God on his behalf because he has nobody. He has no one. It seems like the Lord has it out for him. He doesn't know why. He's done everything. He even sacrificed for his sons and daughters because he thought, well, maybe they sinned. I mean, he truly was a righteous man. But nevertheless, God saw all this, and we don't understand. He's watching. But by the way, the word watcher of men is someone like a shepherd, kind of watcher in Hebrew, kind of someone who's protectively watching over him. He should be. It's used in the Psalms. There's another fellow, King Nebuchadnezzar. God used him. He, uh, he was really proud. He thought that he, uh, it was by his hand that Babylon became so great. He, he was, uh, he was the, the tool which God had used to um, chastise the nation of Israel. And there was a fellow by the name of Daniel. And Daniel, just like Micaiah, was given insight into the throne room of God. And he had angels that were also talking to him and giving him clarity on the things that he was seeing. He could interpret dreams. One of the things that he saw was when the watchers, when they looked upon this Gentile, and they saw the pride of this Gentile, and this dream was interpreted, and basically Daniel said, the decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar at this point, when he, um, when a, just while a, a word was leaving his mouth about how great he was, the sentence was carried out and for seven years he was given the reasoning or the heart of an animal so that he was basically put out into the field. They watched over him. He ended up regaining his throne and giving glory back to God. It was a humbling moment. But the key here is that so that the living may know the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And how does he do that? He watches. He continually watches. Next slide, please. There's another show. Now, when I said restaurant steakhouse it, or, or steakout, it was the one that was kind of looking at where are they messing up. But there's another show that's out there, and it's called Undercover Boss. Has anyone seen that one? It, it, it's kind of cool 
Because in that one, they take executives and they kind of want to get what we used to call field intelligence. They want to go down into, you know, just basically into the employee worker class, low level, because you're not up here, you're not the executive, just to see what's going on so they can have a greater insight. And so they would usually, um, they would have some sort of, um, like they would change their outfit or their look and they, they would have, uh, you know, to, they would tell the crew and maybe they're filming um, some sort of contest so that, that it wouldn't give them away that he was actually, you know, a, one of the CEOs or, you know, a, just really high up. And the cool thing about this show is that the purpose isn't necessarily to, you know, to see like what the people are doing wrong, more as to inform those who are in positions of authority about what they could be doing better what they could be doing right. And so, but in order to do that, he has to make himself small. It's different. He has to make himself small so that he could, well, relate in a way. Next slide, please. We have an undercover boss, one that came 2,000 years ago, and he came small. But we see Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with him in glory, honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for every man. You see, Jesus was made lower than the angels, which basically means that he became human. He was born of a woman. As a matter of fact, Galatians says, even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might conceive or sorry, might receive the adoptions as sons. You see, we had an undercover boss that came into the world and he remained undercover. As a matter of fact, he would tell his disciples, don't tell them who I am. Don't tell them who I am. But he wanted to basically point back to God saying, look, the kingdom of God is near. As a matter of fact, go to the next slide, please. I have a question for you guys. Why did Jesus come into the world? I used to ask my youth group this and then the college group this, and I think they've got it pretty well memorized by now, right? All right, so I'm gonna call out someone. All right, Nolan, why did Jesus come into the world? Next slide. Listen to that. He knew it right off. Jesus, for this reason, I was born, and for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Now, the question is, is what is the truth? What is the truth? And restaurant stakeout, the truth was, is whatever they capture on film. And it usually, like I said, showed the worst in people. And sometimes it's, it showed the goodness in people. But that's not the way the show typically spins it. The other show shows the best in people. However, they're in a situation a lot of times to talk about the tragedies that are in their life and why they have to work and not go to school or, or what the suffering is. And, and it's so interesting how this, this undercover boss listens. Of course, there are times, though, when there were a few employees that shouldn't be there and they get reprimanded to testify to the truth. So the question is, what is the truth? Because Jesus said that a lot. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I say unto you. So he came to talk about the truth. Next slide, please. And he also came for a reason. Now, we learn in, in Mark that the reason why Jesus came, his message, his three years of preaching, were specifically so that the world would know, at that time it was Israel first, was that the kingdom of God is near. Therefore, they need to repent and believe the good news. 
They need to have a change of mind. Okay, that's going to result in a change of direction. That's what repentance is. And they're going to believe the good news, which is the kingdom of God is at hand. So that was his ministry. He came to testify to the truth. Hmm. And so what is this truth? Next slide, please. The truth of the matter is that our world is being, well, has been torn apart. We are separated from God. And there is a kingdom of God, and there is a kingdom of Satan. And this kingdom of Satan, for a long time, has been selling lies to the world. And the only way, really, for him to get to believe the lies is, well, for people to act in a way that's contrary to God. And so God wants us to, well, act like him. What's that mean? Well, that's why Jesus came, to show us the truth, to show us that God cares about us. And he did in such a way that the creator of the universe would get down on his knees and he would wash the feet of men. And he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. But to serve. What's that mean? What does it mean to serve? We're going to get to that. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you were my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, what's love? Love is looking out the highest and greatest interests of another human being. It's putting them first before yourself. It's thinking about what can I do for them? Because you truly want to help them. It's not all about you. It's not a selfie love. It's a selfless love. Interesting. Next slide, please. When Jesus was about to go to the cross and perform the will of God, he prayed. And he had three prayers. The first prayer was for himself. He prayed that, that God would be glorified and that he would be glorified and they would be unified back together. Then he prayed for his immediate disciples that were there with him. And he prayed the same prayer. He said that they would be not taken out of the world, that they would still be in the world, but that they would be one as he was in the Father and the Father was in him and that, that basically they would be in him and so that everybody would be joined together as one, as one. This is our undercover boss. Not yet revealed. I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world, why? The world may believe that you sent me. And that's still a standing order. Because that was a prayer for us. That was a prayer for those who would come to believe in Jesus by those who were disciples and then disciples of disciples and disciples of disciples, that we may believe that Jesus was sent by God because of us, by the oneness in us. And how would they know that? Because we love one another. So we're serving, we're helping one another. And so this new world, this new world order, so to speak, that was coming in was not something that was new. Unfortunately, though, it was something that was old. Adam experienced this, but there was just Adam and Eve before they fell. And then entire humanity fell with them. God came with a plan. Now that gives, that gives my next point. Next slide, please. 
And this is eternal life, that you may know that you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, eternal life. Because if we know God, and we know his son, and by the way, in the, in the Greek, it's gnosko, which basically means an intimate knowledge of. Sometimes they would actually use that word to mean the relationship between a man and a woman, okay, to have children. Okay, so obviously we're not going to have children in that way, but you know what's so interesting? When we know God and we know his son, we actually give him children. When we have an intimacy with God in a way, people come to him because of us, because we're unified, one, in the body, one. Next slide, please. So our undercover boss says, my little children, these things I write to you. This is John speaking now. He says, so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, he only spent three years, three years here on earth. That's interesting, I'm sorry, three years for his ministry. He was roughly 33 years on earth, that's so three years of his ministry, and then he went back home to be at the right hand of the Father. Why? Well, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And the reason is, is so that he could become our advocate. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. See, Job wanted an advocate. He didn't really have one. And if you read the end of the book of Job, it's like God says, just be still for a moment and gird yourself like a man because I'm going to give you um, a little history lesson. Where were you? When? I really encourage you. It's an awesome book. And he was just, but in the end, he never sinned. He did, not, he did not basically accuse God of any wrongdoing. And Job was blessed. And we're going to talk about that blessing here in a second. Under the new management with our undercover boss, there is a blessing that comes as well like a man, because I'm going to give you um, a little history lesson. Where were you? When? I really encourage you. It's an awesome book. And he was just, but in the end, he never sinned. He did not, he did not basically accuse God of any wrongdoing, and Job was blessed. And we're going to talk about that blessing here in a second. Under the new management with our undercover boss, there is a blessing that comes as well. But he is not here with us. Not physically. See, in the book of Ephesians, he talks about, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So you remember all the way back when Micaiah was looking at the throne room of God and he could see those on the right and those on the left. Satan was still in the presence of God as he was, as he was pointing at Job and saying, he's really not that righteous. He will curse you to his face. That war still continues to this day. Nothing has changed in the sense that there is forces of evil out there that are against the will of God and forces that are good. As a matter of fact, even our, the job of the church, and we're going to talk more about this probably in later sermons, is in the Lord's Prayer he says, pray like this, our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, raised up, holy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, works with both the, he has 
that um, in the heavens as he, as he does here on earth, which is so interesting because he talks to, now he can see all things. Remember, he talked to the spirit. He knew ahead of time when the spirit came and said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna deceive Ahab. And he said, wow, that plan's going to work. How did he know that? Because he knows the beginning from the end. He could see all things, but nevertheless, he still works through his employees. Those who are truly serving him. And right now, there is an undercurrent, almost like a hostile takeover. There is something within his, his heavenly realm that doesn't want to abide by his rules. And that war has taken shape here on earth. And you can see it by just the tragedies that we have and the humanity, how it sins and, te- and tears itself apart. But Jesus said, that's not how you're supposed to be. And, you, and the world will know that I am from God, that it's supposed to be different because there is this entity called the church that's supposed to love one another. And just like Israel in a time in the Old Testament era where they were called to be holy and separate so that all the other nations could see that there was a God that was really central to the world because a small nation could be blessed and they could see how people were treating each other under the law, but they fell short. Just as we often fall fall short of emulating or looking like Christ. Next slide, please. Recognizing our predicament. Paul talked about his role. He said, I will deliver for you, and this is Jesus actually talking to Paul. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes so they could see, so they could also watch, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, we have a very similar role. We as Christians are called to free people from the power of Satan and to turn them from darkness to light. We can't do that really physically. We don't grab them someone and say, hey, you need to like, just straighten yourself out. You know, as a matter of fact, the interesting thing is we're supposed to be doing that by setting examples. Jesus didn't force anyone. He just healed people and he talked to them And then his disciples did the same, and then he said, choose. Come, follow me. And then people had to realize, am I going to follow Christ, or am I going to do my own thing? Next slide, please. Moses gave the people of Israel the same predicament. He gave them the same choice. After reading the law, he said, okay, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, now he encourages them, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. You see, Moses recognized that when God tells you to do something and he gives you a set of rules and says, look, if you follow these rule sets, then you will have life. You will be blessed. 
because you're in obedience and you're in the will of God and you're doing what is right and good. You're not just doing your own thing. And then when you really read through those rules, it's interesting because they are meant for justice. They are meant for actually helping people cooperate and get along together. And then all those rules could be summed up into two greatest commands. And those two commands were love the Lord God with all your heart, might, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus even quantified that and said, love one another. Because if you love one another, then you're in obedience to me. It means you love the Father, and he is in you, and I am in him, and we're in each other. And it's just really about love. Those broken tablets represent the law that was broken. But you know what's so interesting is that law that was broken was made whole and fulfilled in the body of Christ on the cross. He fulfilled all the law. We couldn't keep the commands. And so that gave him something. And when he obeyed the will of God to go to the cross, it gave him the right to be our boss because we had another boss before. And he wasn't a good boss. He was a boss that was the power of Satan boss. But he'd make it sound like it was good. Kind of like for many of you that watch the old Pinocchio, it's Pleasure Island. And in Pleasure Island, when you're out there and you spend enough time there, you turn into something that you don't want to turn into. And you have to flee from it. And on the other hand, there was the old, like the, the advice of go to school, stay in school. Keep on the narrow and straight path. And that was what is given to them in the same way it's given to us, but we don't do this alone. We'll talk more about that. Next slide, please. Under new management. Everyone knows the first part of this verse, I think. It's even on the bottom of the cups over at In-N-Out Burger. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so that's the interesting thing. From the very beginning, God had a plan. He knew that at the time that the old CEO that he had would run down the company. And he was grooming somebody else. Somebody to take over and give new life to this company. Interesting. It was his son. But he had to pay a price for that. He had to become an undercover boss. He no longer could be with the Father in the same way before. That's why Jesus would always say, I, I want to be with you the way I was with you before. But he was on earth, and there was something that was different. And then, of course, even, even worse, was he on, the, on that cross. He was in some way, and, and I don't understand this, somehow separated, forsaken by God. That's all, all I know. I don't know how that works. I just know that that was a manner in which God has taken our sins and separated it far from us, east from the west, so that w the sin was no longer an issue. No longer an issue. We could, come through, we could come to the Father through the Son because the sin would not separate us out. And he's going to relocate. It's interesting. He's going to start picking employees and relocate. Next slide, please. The Son, the Father, no longer does the judging. Interesting. He's the owner. He owned it before. He still owns it. However, the son, on the other hand, now has taken, I guess, is it the CEO status? He's the one in charge. The board has decided. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now remember, the life that who he wills, remember what is eternal life? To know God and his Son, Jesus Christ. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Everything now is committed to to Jesus Christ. Our undercover boss. But guess what? He's not undercover anymore. He's been outed. It's like at the end of the show. He sits at the right hand of the Father. However, this, the rest, it's up to us, the other employees. Hey, did you know that that guy was in here? That he was the one? He, he was the, you know, he's, he's the owner's son. He, he made sandwiches for us. Or he did this. And, and you just, just all the different stories, all the different jobs are out there. He was right there next to you, feeling your pain, experienced the same things that you experienced. Next slide, please. But as he is in heaven, he is not there anymore. However, he did see an an, an immediate supervisor, someone to guide you, kind of, well, he does everything that the father says and and the son says, and simultaneously, he makes note. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. You know what is so cool? As Jesus Christ, as far as we know, only at one time could be at one location while he walked on the earth in his ministry. Now the crazy thing is, is that when he was in his new resurrected body, he was able to walk through walls and he could just disappear and go one place to the next. But we don't have any instance where he was really more than one place at one time. He had a new body, a body that we're promised, a resurrected body, that surpasses the physical abilities of this world. However, the spirit, on the other hand, has the ability to indwell not just one person, but a whole host of people. And you can't get this spirit unless you believe in the Son, the one whom sent that spirit. Because it's that spirit that raises you. It raises you from the dead. By how? Well, because everything was committed to Jesus, and he has the ability to give life. And he dwells in you, he guides you, and he tells you, you can do this and you need to do that. And matter of fact, he trains you. He gives you gifts. They're called gifts of the spirit, abilities, Abilities that you are to bless one another with. It's awesome. Next slide, please. Your co-workers. Well, that's the church. Now you are the body of Christ and the members individually. I know, rejoice, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. This is Paul speaking. And fill up my, in my flesh what is lacking in afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. You see, Paul suffered a lot, but Christ told him, I'm gonna show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. Because Paul wasn't a very nice guy before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. But when he met him, he changed his viewpoint. He repented, and he gave 100%. He was sold out for God. He was sold out for his son. He was willing to be afflicted in the body to build the church, which are those who have received Jesus Christ and have chosen to follow after him. They have chosen to say, hey, this that he is my Lord. And by the way, it's so interesting when I tell people that, you know, Jesus is my Lord, no one knows what that really means anymore. 
Nobody knows what a lord is. We don't live in the medieval times when we had lords over lands and so forth. It's just a word, a saying. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. The Lord controlled all things. You, you actually owed your loyalties to the Lord, and you did what they said. So the best way to say it, he's my boss, my real boss. Jesus is my boss. And all our coworkers are the ones who are listening to Jesus, the ones that look like him, the ones that have the love in their heart, the ones who are persevering, who are together working to build the body in, in many ways because they know the Son and they know the Father on a Gnosko level. So other people see how they love and they want part of that and they get born into the body of Christ. Amazing how this new company is going to take place. How it's coming together. Next slide, please. And you know, you also have a handbook. Those handbooks are kind of important. I don't know how many people have read through their employee handbook. Usually they can be very thick. They're like a lot of legal stuff. It tells you your vacation days. It tells you, this tells you what you can do, why you can get fired. There's a whole bunch, right? I mean, I'm going to, um, Glenn, does your employee handbook pretty thick? Like real thick, okay? By the way, the Bible's pretty thick too. But it's extremely beneficial. It tells you everything that you need to know about the Son in terms, and the Father in terms of get to know him, what he has revealed to us and the church. And the rest of it, how you op- operationally cl- you know, carry that out, is left by the teaching of the church and the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that you can be employees of Christ. Because, see, the, they use the word slave or bondservant, and that gets like it's politically incorrect to say that today. But in reality, that's what we are. We're employees of Christ. Next slide, please. And it's interesting because we're being watched. But not like that whole, you know, restaurant show where he's looking at us for the negative parts. We're being watched because, see, the truth of the matter is, is that he knows those who are his. He knows how we should be acting. And He's there to reward us in a way, or sometimes chastise us if, we're, if, if we are slacking off. But let's, let's read. Bond servants, that's what we are. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service. Eye service. That's when you're being watched. We are being watched. As men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, and that's which we are, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And that is such an interesting thing, because in the context back then, people, I mean, it wasn't a matter of, of color of skin. It was a fact is because the Roman Empire captured a lot of different, I mean, they had all different countries underneath them. And if, you were, and if you kind of fell as a slave and your children were slaves, it was awful. But you still, those people learned. They learned to submit. Okay, and so the, the interesting thing is we're supposed to submit to one another. The Bible tells us that as well. Submit to one another. And I would say most importantly, to love and to obey as a bondservant for Christ because we have been bought We've been bought by Jesus Christ. He paid the price on the cross for us. Which is, see, the thing is, is a lot of times in the company, the son of the company would just inherit it. He doesn't have to pay anything. Sometimes they'll run it down. But you know what's so interesting? Is that if the son has to go out there and earn the money and buy the company from the father, 
just like when you have to pay for your own college education for students, they tend to like respect it more. And, but you know, that's what Jesus did. The father said, go out there and I want you to pay the price. Pay the price, you get the company. Interesting. And we ought to work because we are being watched. Those watchers are still watching. They're watching us right now. When you go home today, they're gonna watch you. They are. And we're supposed to be reflecting Christ in everything that we do. When I was in the service, I just remember, you know, I was an officer 24-7. They didn't say, okay, now, all right, the bell rang, it's four o'clock, go home now, you're no longer an officer. No, I'm on duty all the time. Always. Next slide, please. As Christians, we are always on duty. There's no part-time Christianity here. And how should we work? Simply this. Thus also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You, in order to work, you have to have faith. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to trust him. You have to trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's really interesting? You have to trust each other. There's no way you can be the church if you don't trust each other. Because you can't love someone that you don't trust. Can you? Really? You can, you can like, obey them, but can you really love them? Now, if they're out in the world, I mean, not in the same way we're, we're called to, but if you trust them, you really trust them. And that's the thing. We're supposed to have an environment of trust and love, and I will show you, by my, I will show you my faith by my works. This is James speaking. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. See, they believe in one God. They had a whole host of them on the right and the left. That didn't save them. Do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You have to have faith. Faith is, is believing in something where there is no direct evidence, where you don't see it, but you know because the Spirit puts it in you. You believe because you want it. And by the way, it isn't like, I just believe in Jesus and I acknowledge him. I acknowledge that Obama is president. Whether I true, whether I follow him as a person or not, I can acknowledge his position. I can love him, I can not love him, but I acknowledge the position, but that doesn't make me a true follower of a president or a presidential candidate or a congressman or anybody else or a soccer coach. Call it what you will. A true follower of somebody is someone that's going to obey them, right? Someone that's going to listen and do what they say. Next slide, please. We have been designed to work. In the Garden of Eden, God had created a man. And from the man, he also created a woman. And he said, go forth and multiply and subdue the face of this earth. And what's so interesting about that is that from the very get-go, we have been designed to work designed in such a way as to, if we're not working in some way, we are discontent and falling apart. But see, God doesn't forget that. 
As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, he says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and, to the, and do minister. And we have desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, um, sluggish, but imitate those who through the faith and patience inherit the promises designed to work, designed with a promise. Next slide. Last slide, please. Your paycheck. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. And Paul writes, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is our no longer our undercover boss. He is our true boss, the one we are telling the world to, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And one of the slides I didn't put up here is those that are not in Christ, there is another judgment. When the books are open and the judged according to the, or the debt accord, judged according to the works that they have done. It is not the judgment seat of Christ. It is interesting. We have... Our paycheck is not here. Please don't look for it here. You may be called to suffer for his name's sake. You may be called to have what we would conceive as a pleasant life for his name's sake. Because whatever his will, whether Job or you're suffering for a reason, it is to bring him glory. But see, the reason that the church comes together every Sunday isn't to listen to some guys speak up here and then just go home. The reason why that we are here is to edify and build each other up, encourage one another, because see, individually, each one of you are supposed to be Christ to the world. You're supposed to go out and, and to your neighbor and your coworker, the person on the street, you're supposed to be showing them Jesus Christ so they may have eternal life. They may know the Father because they know Jesus through you. That is your job. That is our job. But it's a brutal job because they will. They will revile you. They'll cast you out. They'll call you evil. Look at the world today. That's exactly what's going on. It's getting farther and farther away from biblical standards. And we come together to encourage one another and build each other up. That's why we're here. That's why the church meets. To use our gifts in whatever capacity so that those who need prayer, intimate prayer, give them that. For those who, whose fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters are suffering in some way, whether by their health or by some type of economic um, situation that they're in or maybe making bad choices, whatever it is, we're here to encourage, to be the real friends of Job, who are to sit there and say, don't worry, your paycheck is not here, but I'm here with you, and I'm gonna sit with you, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna love on you, I'm gonna do whatever I can to help you, because that is the love of Christ, looking out the highest and greatest interests of another person, so that when they're comforted, comforted knowing that their prize is on the goal, that in the end, they will be in heaven. So let me tell you this, church. There are no retired Christians. None. As I look around, one of the things that I would love to see more, I'm a young man. I'm in my 40s now. 40s. So I'm a young man, the way I look at it. I'd love to see older men, those who have been in the church for a very long time, out there teaching us, helping us understand what it means, leading, 
the younger men, younger than me, to grow up in such a way as to honor Christ and honor the folks that urge them. There are no retired Christians. That's a whole nother sermon. It's called perseverance to the end. Not like golf. Talk to someone, and ladies, it's the same. If you've been a Christian in the church for a long time, see what you can theme in the Bible is that we are there to teach the younger what it means to persevere in a world that is hostile toward Christianity. And if we don't have the time for our younger ones, they will be lost in the kingdom of Satan. They will. It's true. And you can see it happening today. They need you. They need your encouragement. They need your love. And they need to, show, they need to be shown that you care about them. So it starts, the way I look at it, the leadership starts from the top down. It was that way in the military. It's the general officers are there to help out the field grade officers. And they carry out the order to the company grade officers. The company grade down, you know, um, they work with the sergeants, lieutenants. Well, there will be company grade. But they work down with the senior enlisted, um, the senior enlisted officers. And they, in turn, would help. And everybody works together in such a way as to carry out a mission. And see, the thing is, is that Christ is advocating us for the Father. The Father is in heaven. And he's telling us he's, he wants his will to be done on earth. And by the way of his Holy Spirit, orders are going out. But if they stop at the field grade or they don't make it all the way down, then all you're left is with, you have this break between you know, the enlisted and the company grade and a break between the field grade and then the church is divided. And by the way, as I close here, that has been the mode of operandus for Satan ever since the beginning. Even Jesus said this. He said, a house that is divided cannot stand. It can't. And neither can a kingdom and neither can a church. In the book of Revelation, Jesus even warned several churches, I will take away your lampstand. Why? He has that authority because he is our boss. So today as you leave here, please consider, what can I do? What can I do? Can I teach a Bible lesson? Can I help out at uh, VBS? Could I just pray over someone? What are my gifts? Where can I help out? Because it's a hostile world out there, a world that needs you. And it doesn't matter if you're old or if you're young. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, he has given you a gift to help, even the children, because children have been able to move people to do monumental things. As the song says by Whitney Houston, and I will not sing it, they are our future. They are the future of the church. But as crazy it sounds that they're part of the body of Christ, they are the church now. Teach them well and let them lead the way. With that, um, I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come up here today and to be able to just um, share your word with the body. I pray, Father God, that these words do not come back void, Lord, the words that were written in your book, that, Lord, that they'll carry out their purpose, touch the hearts of others, so that, Father, that your will be done here on earth as in heaven, that we bring your son, our boss, glory, and you glory, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would be one 
in spirit, that we would be love, that we would love one another truly from our hearts. I pray, God, that, um, that the things that cause us to stumble, the things that are in our way, Lord, that you would take them away so that we could see with eyes that are clear and we could hear with ears that are, that are clear as well, that we would know you and that we, Lord, would be effective to be encouraged. You have some leaders. You believe that you intend to follow after him and you believe that he is truly the son of God. Go in peace. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, wait.